he pretty much told me that I'm a stupid woman and I don't know anything about building and I don't know anything about houses. And I don't know anything about electricity and that I should shut my mouth and do as I'm told. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 88 with Melissa Gerson. Melissa is here to tell us the tale of three tiny house parking spots in three years, one of which resulted in her actual eviction. It is not what we like to go through when we think about building a tiny house, and Melissa is kind enough to come on the show and share her story and hopefully impart some wisdom so that you listening don't have to go through the same challenges that she did with her tiny house. It's a really great interview. And Melissa really goes into detail about what happened and what went wrong. So stick around. But before we get to that, I'm super excited to let you know that my brand new coloring book, Color Me Tiny, is finally available. Are you fascinated with the tiny lifestyle but not sure if living one is for you? Relax and let your tiny dreams run wild while you color 15 unique tiny homes inside and out. The Color Me Tiny coloring book includes a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in that tiny house day after day. So whether you want to color a tiny bardo on the beach cozy tiny house on wheels nestled in the snow, or several homes that feature their four-legged occupants, Color Me Tiny is for you. I'm offering a special discount, and that lasts for another few days. Uh, I want to make sure that this is something that you can give as a gift this holiday season to the tiny house lover in your life, or maybe it's just a gift for you. To learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color where you'll learn more about my new coloring book, Color Me Tiny. I can't wait for you to start getting creative with this and can't wait to see what you come up with. All right, I am here with Melissa Gerson. Melissa is a maternity nurse turned entrepreneur, inventor and founder of Tranquilo Mat, a vibrating, soothing mat for babies that helps calm them and gets them to fall asleep by mimicking the womb. After selling her Cambridge, Massachusetts condo to invest in her business, Melissa turned to the tiny house movement as an alternative means of housing so she could pursue her dreams and build her company. She designed the Mayflower Tiny House with builders Wind River Tiny Homes and lived in her dream home for over three years before life took her in a different direction and she sold her business as her tiny as she embarked on a greater adventure, married life. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi, Ethan. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. Thanks for being here. I was hoping we could just start off if you could just expand on your story of, you know, what brought you to the tiny house movement and and why did you decide to to go for it? Yeah. So I actually, um, part of the reason why I decided to go for tiny house living as well as um, kind of start my business was I happened to be in India. I was studying yoga. I was there for two months um, and that turned into it ended up being overall like three and a half months that I was away. Um, and in that time, I actually lived essentially out of, I had only brought a carry-on um, and a back, like in a personal item um, for that trip. And then I bought a few things when I was in India, but for the most part, I just like lived out of just such a small bag. And I got home to my condo in Cambridge. It was like a two bed, one bath, like 900 square foot place. And I just remember kind of having like reverse culture shock and being like, why do I have all this stuff? Um, I don't use any of it. I didn't miss any of it in three and a half months. Like, what am I doing? And while I was in India, kind of living out of that suitcase, um, I also happened to lose one of my, I had a few kind of like nursing gigs um, where I was doing per diem. So I'd pick up a shift here or there. Um, And I lost my favorite one that kind of gave me the most stable income. And I had a friend um, at, like in India ask me like, well, what if money were no object and you knew you couldn't fail, like what would you do with your life? Like how would you spend your time? And that was when I just knew that I had to go for this, had this idea for this vibrating mat and I hadn't really acted on it in like too much. Um, and so I was like, okay, I have to work on this. And I knew 
um, deep in my bones, that was kind of the next leap was to, was to start this business or was to kind of pursue this idea more and further. So, um, essentially came out from that trip started. Um, I ended up like leaving, I ended up like subletting, subletting my condo and kind of doing some travel nurse positions so that I could raise money so that I could, um, kind of invest in my business. And then after a, over a year of being like a vagabond and my business needing money, more money than being a travel nurse could provide, I decided to sell my condo. During all this time, I was like, I went, I did end up going back to India because it was actually cheaper to live in India for a while. So same thing. I lived out of not so with not so much stuff. And I was also staying with family and a lot of my stuff was in like a storage container. So just packed away in boxes. And I think I had like two suitcases worth of stuff. So kind of all during this time, I was thinking about like, I had seen the tiny house movement and I had seen kind of how that was working. And I just kept like watching YouTube video after YouTube video of like what I wanted in my home and my house. And then ultimately decided to take the leap that was going to be the cheapest way to live in a place that was safe. Um, because Boston, like you can sure you can find a place for cheap, but it's not safe or um, it's really, really far out of the city and really far out of like where my life was and where my business needed me to be. So, so yeah, so I kind of decided to take the plunge and, you know, buy my tiny house. And also equally, because I was now self-employed, nobody would really give me a, like a loan or a house loan <laughs> for anything. Um, so it was going to be otherwise impossible to try to purchase like regular real estate that might be outside of my standard budget. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's how that worked. <laughs> kind of fell into it. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's cool that you did that. And also it, it's ambitious because I know that building a tiny house or even working with a builder is incredibly time consuming and stressful. And there are just so many decisions to make. And, you know, that you took that on while you were also building this new business. How did you how did you balance, you know, paying attention to the tiny house versus the business? Um, I guess I would say that by comparison to what the business needed, the tiny house was actually quite easy in <laughs> working with the builders. Um, and I think I had done enough kind of like my fun thing, you know, if I wanted to relax outside the business was to watch these YouTube videos. So I had, and I've been doing this for about two years. So I kind of had a really good list of like the things that I wanted. And when I went to the builders, when I went to Wind River, um, I had a pretty good idea. I'd seen some of their other builds and I was like, I love this, 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 and this that you've done this is what I'm thinking. And then they had, um, kind of like a really, uh, it was a, it ended up being like a Google form or a Google like worksheet or whatever. But I ended up kind of going through that. I think it took me about an hour and a half to go through it. Cause they were asking for specific, like what type of faucet do you like? What type of this and that? And so, yeah. And then I actually just went down there to meet them. I thought that'd be the easiest thing. I got to see some of the builds they had in progress as well and say, because some of the things they had already published and I was seeing on their website. And then when I got down there, there were bills that were in progress that, you know, I couldn't see. So I could make some additional decisions. And I think, I think overall it was like another two hours with them, like one hour, just kind of touring current builds and just chatting on site. And then we went to a coffee house to kind of go through my, like my work list and what I wanted. And, and that's when they started kind of drawing up sketches or like floor plans. And then ultimately sending that back to me after I had gotten home. And, you know, I could say, I love it. I don't love it. And then certainly as things were going along, they're like, here's the faucet we're going to put in. What do you think? And I was like, love it. Here are the lights we're going to put in. What do you think? And I was like, hate them. <laughs> so then I would, you know, if that happened, then I would go, um, yeah, I would just go and like Google, like what I was looking for. And yeah, it was, and there were certain things that I actually, we couldn't kind of anticipate as we were going along, like as as the build started going, it was like, oh, the floor plan was one way. And then, yeah. And then, so a good example was like where we had placed the door to the house was going to be right over one of the wheel wells. And based on everything that I wanted myself and like the three builders plus their office admin, like all five of us couldn't think of another place to try to put the door to get in and out of the house. And so it was like, well, I can't really walk into a house and have this little bit of a wheel well. And then like, I'd fall into my house every day. And so would everyone else. So we ultimately decided to have it like you, they built stairs. And so the wheel well was like behind the stair, the, the step. 
Um, and then there were drawers in front of that. So you'd essentially walk in onto a step and then you'd step down and then there'd be like drawers where I put my shoes and stuff like that into it. But that all came about because the wheel well was like in the way and there was no other good way to get around it. Yeah. And, and similarly, there were some other things like the fireplace wasn't supposed to be at an angle. It was supposed to be like flush against, um, like if this is one of the, that the walls of the house, it was supposed to just be like opposite. So I'd be sitting on the couch and seeing it like head on. And that just didn't really, like, they were like, no, we think it should go at an angle. Just trust us. And I was like, okay. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think, um, managing it all is actually quite easy by comparison total amount of time in working with the builder, maybe 20, 30 hours. And then however much research I had done, like before I went to the builder, like, I don't even know, like that's probably hundreds and hundreds of hours. <laughs> How long did the, the build take once, once it was underway? They're usually pretty good. Um, or so I, I experienced, and I think that's still the case about three months, just, I think a little over cause any build always ends up having something that, um, so yeah, I think I hired them. They were supposed to, it was May, May 1st. And I think it was actually delivered to me like mid-August, like maybe August 15th. So. Nice. And so on Wind River Tiny Homes website, there are photos of the Mayflower. Is this your particular Mayflower? That's mine. So actually, um, when I was working with them, they had just said, like, as they were finishing the build, they were saying, oh, um, we, we, we think we want to start naming our tiny homes. Like, do you have a name for your house? And so I was, you know, kind of working with them on like, what should we name it? So yes, that is my Mayflower. It is the only Mayflower that's out there. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's, it's really gorgeous. I love the dark, the dark wood accents and the light walls. And I love the Dutch door too. Was that something that you knew that you wanted? That was a must have. Yeah, that was a must have. Um, I don't think I've ever had a Dutch door. And I think my mom has an affinity to Dutch doors. But I just remember thinking it was really a cool idea. And especially I definitely needed a storm door uh, outside that because living in New England or anywhere in the Northeast, you need something extra to yeah, stay warm um, and to prevent, you know, all that craziness that can happen in those crazy winters and nor'easters that we get. So um, I wanted that. And it just so happened that the, the one we picked at it so that you could essentially you could just pull down and then the top half would be a screen so i was like yeah dutch door has to go cool. there but yeah i kind of always wanted a dutch door i just thought it would be cool i um i used to ride horses a lot and so that's kind of that same mentality where the horse has you know something to keep them in but they have a you know an exterior that's like open to the world so, yeah um yeah that was a that was a definite must have for me <laughs> nice so the other feature that that I wanted to ask about are the I guess you could call them the stairs. What did you, is that what you called them? Are you talking about to the guest loft or to the master loft? I'm talking about to the guest loft. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it was a set of stairs. Um I wanted something um that was I wanted kind of like a spiral staircase. We couldn't do a full spiral or it didn't make sense from a, like from a space perspective to do a full spiral and there just wasn't enough space. And so, yeah, and then I think that was also kind of, we riffed a little bit, like how it ended up was they were like, oh, we would love to do something like that. You know, we want to do it kind of like these lily pads that go up. Um, I didn't necessarily think about the lily pads, but they did. So, yeah, so it was kind of between the two of us, like I definitely wanted some kind of spiral element. And then they kind of helped me finalize that design. And I will say that there was only one time where I fell off that set of stairs. Yeah, they look a little treacherous. <laughs> they're actually not. Um, believe it or not, they're they're. I, I didn't find them nearly as treacherous, simply because I was so good about holding on to the post as I was going up or down. And because they look treacherous, I took more time to to go up and down them all the time. I did spend a fair amount of time up there, even though it was the guest loft. It was the most convenient, cozy place to watch TV. The television was right there. So it was easier to angle it and watch it kind of at the same level than it was to be down on the ground floor on the couch or even in like a hammock. Because um, I did have just little eye hooks on either loft so that I could string up a hammock when I was indoors as well. But yeah, so I did spend a lot of time up there. The only time I fell off, though, was 
essentially because of that step we mentioned. So you walk into the house on a step. I was holding onto the banister and I thought I was going to hit that step and my foot was like more off the step. And so I like rolled and like fell back and into my house. So it wasn't, I didn't fall completely off, but it was more like falling off the step into my house was more what happened, but just at an awkward ankle. So it actually wasn't as bad as you would think, but. All right. Well, I'm glad you survived the <laughs> lily pad <laughs> stairs. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so you, you had this like gorgeous dream, tiny house built for you in three months. Seems like it was pretty friction free. And then you lived happily ever after, right? Never. <laughs> <laughs> tiny house living. I knew I wanted to live tiny. I'm still very happy for that experience. But no, I actually, um, in building the house, parking is kind of that big thing in the community um, that people talk about or worry about. And so when I was building, I didn't know where I was going to park, which is a big leap of faith when you buy something that big and in some ways that expensive. um, And you don't actually know where you're going to land with it or if it'll be allowed. Um, And so of course, and I speak because I recently moved out of Massachusetts. So um, I speak of, I might be a little off right now, but I know that when I was living in the house, it was illegal to be in anything under like 450 or 500 square feet in Massachusetts without certain elements. But I did specifically work with the builders to try to be as close to some of those rules and regulations. Like you had to have a certain amount of uh, space in the home be um, over six foot ceilings. So my kitchen actually, and my, my guest loft is smaller and my kitchen has a higher ceiling than let's say the over the master. And that was specifically designed around like reading through the rules and regs around like kind of small living and, and kind of basic like health department regulations in Massachusetts. That being said, I know that there were some measures to add essentially the, um, and you, you probably would be better at this than I would, the, the international building code that kind of came out for tiny houses. Massachusetts was looking as a state because cities were having this issue and cities couldn't rule because they would need to get the state's permission and the state wouldn't rule about it. So legislatively, they were trying to put something in action to like adopt those new international building codes for tiny houses um, in Massachusetts. And I think at last check, the vote was supposed to be this past winter, but it was delayed and delayed. And so by the time I left, I didn't know what had come of it. Yeah, so. my my understanding is that it was approved and it will go into effect on January 1st, 2020. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. lucky everyone living in Massachusetts now, except when I was living there beforehand. So not convenient for me. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> anyway. sometimes being first is is a lot harder. Yeah. So I did, I did attend some of those meetings and I did go to um, the the discussions on it and, and kind of voice, yeah, voice my opinion on that. So that was, it was fun, but it wasn't, let's just say because it was illegal um, and I didn't know where I was going to park. I designed my house in a certain way to be as off grid as I could possibly be. But I also didn't think about having to move it around a lot which ended up happening. I had three parking spaces in the three and a half years that I lived in the home. And the last place that I parked was by far the best. And I would have stayed there forever and ever had life not kind of taken a different turn. Right. So, yeah, surprisingly, my ever after. <laughs> surprisingly, Massachusetts is probably just off the top of my head of the people who I've known who have really been forced to move their tiny house. I think they're all in Massachusetts. Yeah, I mean, Massachusetts tends to be kind of um, on the cutting edge of some things and really stuck in their ways and others. So it's it's definitely interesting. Um, and, it, and there's a lot of really wealthy communities surrounding the Boston area where it's a not in my backyard kind of thing. So like, for example, um, I had a family member that lived in Newton and I never, never, never would have even imagined trying to put my tiny house in the city of Newton because it just, there's just no way based on the, the housing values and like the way that people are there. Just, I was like, I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I definitely had to look at certain other communities. So let's, um, if you're willing, let's kind of run through the three parking spots you have and kind of sure. debrief like what, you know, what went wrong and what did you yeah. learn? Because I think people are are really clamoring to understand how they can avoid having to go through that. So 
Yeah, let's start from the beginning. Sure. So the the first one was in a northwestern uh, suburb of Massachusetts, about an hour out. In many respects, it was actually probably kind of the perfect perfect parking spot. The landlord actually had um, he lived on the property, but it was kind of this like large swath of acreage, and his house was in the front, but you couldn't even see his house from the road. You'd have to pull into the driveway to see his house. And then he had a big garage and a shrub and we were tucked like behind that. And on two sides, so the road was here on the back side and right side of his property was all like wilderness, like um, some kind of like protected habitat land within that city. So, and there weren't a ton of hikers. So like nobody would have ever been out there. And then his property was right on the line to the next town over. So technically people could maybe see lights from their backyard, there may be three or four houses, but they happen to live in the next town over. So even if they complained, there was nothing that their, their town could have done or probably would have done. The problem was that the, the landlord, and he had two other tiny houses. So I was the third that was back there and he had been doing this for over a year. It was all cash. One of the downsides, but I knew this going in, was that there'd be no water um, in the winter because he couldn't get the water lines deep enough to run all the way back to that space. And so we'd have to blow our water lines and kind of live without for a bit. So that being said, living without water in the Northeast in the winter is really challenging. Now add to it, you're a new tiny house owner. I did have three, ended up, I think it was like four different ways to heat my home. One of them, I had an AC mini split those are fine, but they don't really, um, for me in the Northeast, they really didn't heat the home well enough. They kind of kept it at a nice, like 60 degrees when it was like set to 90 and you're like, you know, it's like doing all of this work to try to keep the house warm. It just wasn't working well enough. I had the propane fireplace, which is awesome. However, the warm air rises and then your lofts would be, you'd be like sweating bullets. It'd be like 105 up there. And then downstairs, it would still be like, 68. Um, and the floors would stay really cold. So I actually had a radiant hot water floor system. So the problem being, I didn't have water in the winter. And so at least for that first winter, I didn't know enough about the system and how it worked. So I didn't use that system. So the floors were always freezing like 55, 60 degrees, no matter how hot the house was. The other problem with the propane is that I lived alone. I'm a single woman. I'm strong, but I can really only lift a 30 to 40 pound propane tank by myself when it's full to get it, you know, from my car to the house. And the issue I was having was that the draw was too much and it was causing the propane to freeze. And so then I'd be without that as well. So I ultimately ended up plugging in space heaters, which worked really well. However, between that and the AC mini split, it was causing some electricity issues. And the, the uh, owner of the property, let's just say he went about like, it's fine to come to me and say, I think you're using too much electricity. I'm going to have to charge you. And I was like, well, that's fine. But can you like meter me? Right. Like, can you, cause there's two other houses here and like, I don't know how they're heating their homes. Like, and he's like, well, they're saying that they're not doing it. I was like saying and, and actually doing are two different things. So can you just meter and just confirm? Cause he was like, he essentially was claiming that like I um, caused like a $300 electricity bill. And now keep in mind, I had solar as well. So solar was taking care of some of my needs as well. So I was just a little bit like $300 doesn't quite match up. Like I'm sure I'm responsible for some of that. And I even showed him like, you know, for 20 bucks online, you can buy something that plugs into the outlet. And then I plug into that outlet and you can meter me and you can meter the other guys. And he adamantly refused. He pretty much he pretty much told me that I'm a stupid woman and I don't know anything about building and I don't know anything about houses and I don't know anything about electricity and that I should shut my mouth and do as I'm told and, you know, kind of sit in the corner and take what he's going to give me type of like misogynistic crap. So I don't do well with that. And so I pretty much told him off. Um, Nor should you. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, so the long and the short was I left um, shortly thereafter because it just wasn't, I mean, I was actually, it was the middle of the winter. So I was kind of snowed in and the house couldn't go anywhere. But I ended up physically leaving and going back to a family members for the next couple of months before the winter was over. And then I moved the house out 
the minute every thought and get out of there. So that was the first experience. And you, you never can tell, right? Like the other guys, um, there were two guys, they both built their own homes. One of them did have a, um, a fiance wife and they, I think still live there. Um, I'm not sure, but they never had an issue with him. So, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know but I have since warned any other woman. <laughs> if you're in the Boston area, if you're thinking about parking spaces, you hear of someplace Northwest, uh, hit me up uh, in, uh, and I will uh, let you know if you're the same person or not because you probably don't want to live there if you're a woman. And not that I ever felt like anything bad would happen, like he was unsafe, but once, you know, once we got into that argument, he started to get like a bit menacing, ridiculous. I just, you know, one of those like, he wanted me to come into his home and his wife was there and like I was seated at the kitchen table and he was between me and the door and he insisted on it. So it was just a little bit like, you know, I, I don't like to do that as a woman to, to be kind of cornered, but yeah. So, and anyway, it is what it is. And I moved on from that situation happily. So my second parking spot was amazing. The landlord was awesome. He was like, downright like the nicest guy so reasonable and was this a a far away move or was it like same area no I mean it was definitely had to go back on the highways um I think from from point from where the house was to where it went it was like 30 I mean everything's 30 minutes in Massachusetts but this is now like the south southwest ish south central from Boston did you do the moves yourself or did you did you hire a driver I had to hire a driver and this goes back to kind of designing the house. So the first situation, all I had, I had to do the propane myself. I had solar on the house and I had a composting toilet. And then I was just plugged into electrical and then water when I had it summer. The second parking space was much the same. However, the landlord, he's kind of like the, the real estate minded guy and his sons are like the, you know, the contractor types. They were actually really good about really trying to get me water through the winter. Uh, it didn't actually work out that well, but we tried. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, I had more water that year and his, and his sons were really good about like, not like taking care of, but like teaching me about like, well, you can use your radiant hot water system, even if you don't have water because it's a closed system. And so I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I had a, a lot more, I would say, like stability or um, support in that way. And yeah, he was just such a nice guy. And actually, he's really pro tiny house movement. And he's kind of like well known. I don't want to mention the town for this reason in that town for kind of you know implementing change. And he had bought this. Um, it was kind of a series of properties, and the house needed to be redone. There was like. And it was the house was really far, like set back from the street, but you could see it kind of on like a major thoroughfare. And then I was tucked behind that. Um, and then he owned like all the land around it, essentially. And so, yes, you could see me from the street, but people were driving that street so fast that I doubt anyone ever noticed. And the neighbors didn't really care either that we know of. And he, because he was kind of a, you know, a, a known in, in that community, he actually asked the the um um like the city planner the building department because he needed permits to he was going to redo the house that was in front of me he needed permits for that but he asked specifically if I was able to kind of be in the back and the head of that department kind of the higher up was like as long as nobody says anything I'm not going to enforce the rule like I know he knew it was against the rules the the building department or whatever knew it was against the rules and it was like a as long as nobody complains like you're good so sure enough, when the house was the house in front of me was being renovated, they sent out the junior building inspector to inspect that house. And he saw my tiny house. And then like what we think happened is he went back to the office, mentioned it. His boss couldn't say, well, like I knew about it, but I was turning a blind eye. So then I got this letter like two weeks before Christmas saying, you have to leave like on December 23rd, get the hell out. You're being evicted. Like this is against the rule. So yeah, that was super fun. (laughs) Um, and I, so I wonder if there was a distinction, could you have said, Oh, nobody lives in this house. It's just parked there. So that's, so that's uh, me and my landlord. We actually, we talked about it. He was really bummed, you know, based on 
on how much he needs kind of the building department, he was like, look, I'd love to take a stand for you, but I really can't because like I have multiple properties. He was like, let's go. And he's like, it's ridiculous. There's no way you can, like physically I couldn't get out of there. Same thing. There's snow. Like there's no way I can leave. Right. And at that time I didn't have a place to go. He at that point had rented the house in front of me though. And that woman and I had kind of become friends um, and she, she had extra space. So essentially what we, what we decided to do, him and I went to the building department. We explained, we tried to get them to change their mind. They essentially were like, no, absolutely not. But we did tell them, well, we can't move it. The house will be unoccupied and it will remain there until, and we kind of gave like a worst case scenario was like June. And they were like, so long as it's gone by like June of the following year, you're fine. And I think I moved it like May 1st or something. And just in case they tried to do or say anything, I wrote up a lease with the woman who lived in the house, like a, a co-rental lease. Um, and he signed off saying that like, that was okay, that I was now like, like subletting space from her. And then if anyone showed up, I'd be like, oh, I'm just fixing something in the house. I don't actually live here. Like I live in that house. And to be fair, because I didn't really have water during the winter, the woman in the house in front of me was very kind enough to like occasionally let me shower there or I didn't. I had showering at yoga and other places, but on occasion, like I wasn't going to yoga or whatever. So I'd shower with her or do my laundry there unless they want to be. So yeah, she was just really nice. And, and that worked out a lot better. Um, it's just a shame that the city, yeah, couldn't see the value. And I didn't really want to, I was still too busy running my business. So I just didn't, you know, some people will like take a stand and go to the local newspaper and like make a big deal out of it. And I was just like, I also didn't want to get my landlord in trouble because he was such a nice guy. And like I said, really kind of needed the building inspector and the building department to be cool with him. So I just let it go. And I found a third place to park. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And oh, just to go back for a second, I did have to hire a truck for the house to move it because um, I had solar and the batteries for the solar were a thousand pounds each. And they were all in the um, hitch box, like Whoa. closet. So it was like 4,000 plus pounds on the tongue. And even, you know, like big semis were like, wow, you can feel this thing back there. And I was like, yeah. So, wow. um, and I don't think they ever got an official weight, but we estimated it somewhere in the 16 to 18,000 pound range. So it could have been pulled maybe by like an F350, 450 with the extra tires and whatnot, but like just didn't want to risk it. So it got pulled, pulled by like a semi? Uh, tw- well, so it got pulled by a semi and then it got pulled by a truck that pulls broken down semis. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. Or like broken down dump trucks or whatever. So yeah, it got pulled by those twice. And both of them were like, yeah, that wasn't in full. Sorry, it came up with a semi because Wind River's in, in Tennessee. So it came up with a semi and then it went to its second parking space with a semi and then it went with the, um, yeah. Do like they a, do they put the tiny house up on a flatbed and then tow that no. behind the semi or they actually tow it with the semi? Yeah, no, they just tow it's just like a tow like a trailer so they just towed it. Cool. With that. Yeah. It it worked out. I will say that the first parking space getting in I should have known it was bad then when we were getting in the the semi we me and the semi truck driver thought it was perfectly parked and the owner of the property the kind of kooky guy who wasn't very nice to me really insisted that he try to get it closer to the tree line and when he did that he actually like like gashed my roof open and like pulled off some some flashing on it and so then getting it out of there it required like a tree limb to be cut things like that but yeah i should have known then when the yeah when the when the landlord was being kind of kooky about that that i should have left right then yeah but what can you do all right what what was parking spot number three Parking spot number three. Again, I don't want to name it just because, but I'm sure people had seen me uh, seen me there. But it was at a um, an RV park down definitely on the South Shore, pretty far out there. Probably one of the furthest drives that I've ever had to do. Absolutely loved it there. The good thing with them is that even though there wasn't water all year round, first thing, first and foremost, they were closed for the winter. And at that point, after two winters with like no water and some water, I was like, I'm good. I'm just going to get out of here. <laughs> like, it's just easier to leave. And they had really decent storage rates. So essentially it was like, I think hundred bucks to leave my house there and like mostly set up. All I would have to do is kind of come back and like take 
the hose that was connected to my house, the house could stay, but the hose connected to their thing had to go. So it was like, all I had to do was connect like three things and the house was set up and ready for the start of the new season. So yes, and, and they had a ton of amenities. And even if the water had been turned off, usually in like mid-November, they, they had like, like a bath, like bathrooms with showers and whatnot. And they had like a couple of them on the property. So, and there were like washers and dryers and things like that. So it was just a ton of amenities. They always had something going on on the weekends, you know, like for Halloween, they like a couple of weekends in a row before Halloween, they had, you know, kids trick or treating. And so, and it was, it was quite a large location or facility. So yeah, it just like, it was nice. I had mostly weekenders who were there, but there were some seasonal folks who were there kind of for the whole season. And I was definitely in that kind of seasonal section. So there was some community and it was also just like, it was just nice. Like I'd be working and I'd be looking out, you know, my window and I'd be like, Oh, I should probably get outside. I haven't been outside in like a while. And people are walking dogs on vacation or like, Hey, it's a nice day. I want to go to the pool. And I could like have my pick of like multiple pools on the property. So really loved it. I could also get propane filled right there. They had a little like store at the front. So if I like ran out of bread and, you know, late at night and it was snowing, I could just walk to the front and not have to, yeah, not have to like worry about getting all the way to the store in like a snowy path or whatever. And the staff was just like, it's like a family run place and they were amazing. Like anything I could possibly need. I would say with that though, I was required to change over from a composting toilet to a flushable toilet. So, and I had done composting because I didn't know where I was going to live. And that's what I had done the other times. But let's just say composting toilet wasn't really for me. I could do it, but it was definitely not my favorite thing in the world. I'm a little too much of a dermaphobe. So anytime I go to like clean it out, I'd be like, why are there still crystals like in the urine section? Or like, why is there still dirt in this section? And then it would become this big cleaning endeavor. And yeah, it ended up being gross. I appreciate it. So um, I was not sad to be asked to move over to a flushing toilet. The only thing with that was I also had to put in like a black tank because that Ah. was a requirement because I was a plated trailer. And then that way I did, you know, I I did have kind of a gray water and a black water system. And so uh, that was an interesting renovation to undertake. But the staff there were super helpful about like getting me the resources to do that. So yeah, had a plumber come in. I think it ended up costing like 600 bucks total. And I got a macerating toilet because of course my hot water system, I had a hot water register. It ran like the whole length of the house, like kind of hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And there was a hot register directly under where they would have had to drill a hole for the flush for a regular toilet to go down and out of my house. So it ended up being a like it flushes outside. And then there was like a little pipe that would go down and into the black water tank. And was the black water tank like attached to the trailer or was it kind of just a freestanding thing? No. So it had to be attached. And again, they were really great. Like they, just because I was in a space, like where there are people who do RVs or who have RVs and they were used to that, they were like, try these three people. And in particular, there was one guy, it was essentially like pretty quickly found, you know, a plumber who was okay working on RV and residential, which is odd. You don't usually get that mixed, but because this facility had both like their bathhouses and their like standing facilities and like yurts and, (laughs) you know, things like that. They, you know, they also had this contact of a plumber who could do both and work in RVs. And then there was a guy who worked at an RV sales place, but he was more of a contractor. And so he knew what kind of like black tank was needed and he could install it. So essentially it's just the pipe went out the side down to the black water tank. That was, it was a small tank because I didn't, need a lot because I was planning to be parked there for a while and then it just had its exit and the cool thing about this park was that they had two because I didn't touch my gray water system and I didn't have a gray water tank so that just that just plumbed to one of their wastes each site had two wastes so I could have the gray water go to one waste and the black water tank and that stuff go to the other waste um yeah. And I got cable TV and actual internet. And I was like, this place is amazing. Like, why wasn't I here before? It's like it was meant for it. It was. And I, I loved it. I adored it. Yeah. And then, um, like I said, life kind of took a turn. I wasn't expecting to be married or be moving, um, but that's what made the most sense. 
So I ended up, my wife's job is in Phoenix for now. And then next year, um, she's with the armed forces. So um, next year we'll be moving to Germany. Because of that, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with my house. Like I love my house, but there are things that I don't love. Like you can't really stay in in the winter. I don't really own land. So, you know, I don't really want to, it could just be a summer place, but like, where would I park it? you know, what would I do with it? It's expensive. I love the RV park, but it's expensive to stay there for the season more so than I had to, to stay. Yeah. What was your rent at the RV park out of curiosity? So I ended up just amortizing it over the course of the full year, but I could only live in the space for eight months. So if you do that, it ended up being like 675. But if you look at it as, okay, I'm living there for eight months, it's over a thousand a month. But yeah, so I just amortize it. So every month I would just put like six seventy five in, and you had to pay in full before the start of the next month. So that was a big overhaul. I had to like just pretty much complete my savings to pay like ten grand to stay there that first year that I was staying there. Um, and they don't always have openings for um for what was I saying? Like the people who live there year round, the seasonal folks. Wow. So I was lucky that they did when I when I did that. But yeah, so I wasn't sure what to do with my house. And I essentially, uh, the winter was over. I showed up. I was like, hey guys, how's things? I'm getting married in three days in the city of Boston. And then I'm probably moving to like to Phoenix, Arizona. Like, like that's what's happened in the four months that I was gone for the winter. Like, so I asked the staff because they the first year that I was there, essentially I would, you know, they, they'd hold packages. Like I could actually have an address for the first time in a long time, which is really nice. So anyway, I ended up just kind of, they would tell me, like, I'd go in, they'd be like, everyone loves your tiny house. They want to know when they can rent it. Like, when can they rent it next year? When can they rent it next year? And they, they were like, keep having to tell people like they don't own it. Like, sorry if people knock on your door to see it, but like, you know, because again, they had like yurts and kind of like cabins um, on site as well. So people were used to pulling up with their RV or renting those types of spaces. And so um, anyway, I essentially showed up and I was like, hey, I know that was brought up like a couple of years, like last year when I was here, maybe we could do something where, you know, I continue to own the home and then you rent it and make most of the profit, but I just get enough to pay for the rent that I've already paid you for the season. Or maybe you just buy it from me and then you rent it. Or honestly, like I'll keep it for the season because it's prepaid. Um, for the second season. And then I'll move it. They had a storage area where I could move it and keep it. And it was again, like less than a hundred dollars. It was on par with other places. Um, and they would haul it from my site to their back property. So I wouldn't have to get a truck again in the whole bit. And so I was like, these are my three options. Let me know what you want. And within like three or four days, the other family member who was like, I never met before, but like dealt with more like, well, what, are we going to do to the cabins and what yurts are going to go here? And kind of like more of the over like planning of the, of the place got in touch with me, came over, looked at the space. And by the time it was said and done, it was a, you know, they were like, you will buy it from you. This is our last and final cash offer. And, you know, uh, you have to be out by June 1st and that's what happened. So I wow. sold it and left. <laughs> I don't think they're renting it yet, but I believe next season the start of 2020 they will be renting it so um so when did you so was it that 2019 that you that you left yes so okay. uh yeah april of this year wow that i formally left but again the end of that winter last year was when i came to arizona to to see if a live-in relationship with my then girlfriend was going to work out and sure enough i've got the ring to prove that you know it, we worked out so <laughs> awesome well congratulations thank you so wow what a what a saga. What <laughs> if you were if somebody asked you like what should I look for in a parking spot or like how how can I avoid, you know, having to move before I'm ready to move? You know, what what advice would you give? If you can do it legally, <laughs> wait wait until Massachusetts uh, you know, passes their law in 2020 June 20 January 2020 for it to all be legal. Well, Appendix Q doesn't uh, you know, off the off the shelf, it doesn't cover tiny houses on wheels, doesn't it? Though no, the the it's it covers houses that are less than four hundred square feet, and then it's mm. and then the state can choose to adopt it further to apply to houses on wheels. It's it makes it a lot easier for houses on wheels, but it doesn't. You know, 
off the shelf cover houses on okay. the list. Okay. Well, so that, yeah. And I don't know enough about Massachusetts implementation to know. I don't either. Um, I guess what I would say is certainly try to build as close to Q as you can. Try if you can to get it like NOAA certified or rated or whatever. Um, or if you if you want to do it RV RV style, go for it. Massachusetts still, I think, has laws that you can't year round live in something like an RV. So almost all the parks in Massachusetts closed for the year. There's places up in New Hampshire and Rhode Island, I think, that stay open, but I believe the state does have a blanket law there. So yeah, so I would try, I mean, for myself, like what I tried to do is like I couldn't get the NOAA rating during the build because the builders have to be like certified or whatever. And I didn't know about it at the time. But I did, I was able to get it like post done. Um, and that was actually helpful as well for getting insurance because I couldn't similarly, like you can't always get like homeowners insurance. And I struggled in Massachusetts because one of the bigger carriers wasn't available there. But I did end up finding a place at, at Colorado that would um, insure me. And, and yeah, and having the NOAA certification was good enough for the RV park to say, well, that's close enough to like, essentially it's basic safety, you know, like show us that this is really a trailer, show us the VIN number, you know, show us that there's a plate, which I did getting it plated in Massachusetts is expensive. So yeah, <laughs> I have, I have some words of advice there too on that. Um, if you're, if a trailer says it's 20,000 pounds, don't tell the state that the trailer's actually 20,000 pounds because it only matters if it's being moved. And if you're not moving it very often or the chances of it getting caught like overweight while it's moving isn't, you're better off paying the fine than the $500 every year to have your trailer be at the 20,000 ton rating. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, so don't, so don't do that. But yeah, try to be like, and I also built it as close to um, Appendix Q. I didn't know Appendix Q existed, but Wind River Tiny Homes, one of the owners was very involved in that particular movement and he went out and he was there when appendix q was passed so um he was pretty familiar and again i i researched kind of basic like the state massachusetts sanitation department of health laws about like basic like what was necessary um and i tried to build as close to that as possible and then yeah so like hopefully then you can, it can be legal and then you know you kind of have to be prepared for a fight if you're you're worth it you know if, if you if this is something you want to do long term um and, and there are headways in that in Massachusetts. Um, I know plenty of people who live tiny who are in cities that love them. They're trying to get tiny house communities going. And I do think that will be the wave of the future there. And that's, that was what I would have loved to do as well. But yeah, and then um, if even if you don't plan to move your house a lot, you also don't ever know what life's going to throw your way. So I would advise trying to make it as travel friendly as possible. I, if you look at my house, I had open shelves in the kitchen. Lovely. They look great, but it meant every time the house moved, I had to pack up everything on all those shelves in the boxes and put them on the floor. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't fun per se. Um, similarly, I would have put like locks on the cabinets or would have had the builder do that so that I wouldn't have to like tape them closed or like, you know, possibly damage finishes or add those later. Again, you don't think you're going to be moving it a lot, but just in case, I mean, even if you just need to reposition it on the property, which had to be done at least once, I think, when I was in my first uh, parking space. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all of that, I would say. And then certainly, you know, do your homework on the landlord and be honest with yourself. If something doesn't feel right right away, don't don't take it. But you kind of do, at least in my experience, I had to be okay with living like, under the radar, like illegally, um, you know, kind of second-class citizen-esque and, and what I was willing to, to settle for. And it worked for me again, because like, at least I could live in a home that was beautiful, <laughs> um, that I liked, that, that, you know, contained all my stuff um, that was safe. And yeah, and then um, winter, winter in tiny houses are totally different, like fall game. Um, those who live in colder climates, um, you can you can hit me up pri privately. I'm happy to talk about it. Maybe that's the topic for for a return a return interview. <laughs> sure. 
Sure. Yeah. It's uh, that's uh, definitely a whole nother beast. And I did it yep. twice and I wouldn't do it again, but I would also build my home differently to right. do it better. So right. yeah. I have a few podcast episodes about that. Cause I've done five Vermont winters in the tiny house and yeah, it's... had have had some similar challenges to you in terms of the propane and the cold floors and, and all those things. And yeah, it's a challenge. Maybe I should have listened to those before. <laughs> well, it didn't exist. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that ends up being the problem when you're a trendsetter. <laughs> yeah. Find out the hard way. <laughs> yep. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources such as books or YouTube channels or people who helped you on your tiny house journey that you would recommend to our listeners? So um, actually, I, I know I've talked about them a few times and I obviously when River, I had a great experience with them, but and most people think of them just as a builder. They might think of them as a builder, but on their website, they have a whole FAQ section that is like invaluable, I think, to somebody. So they talk about why they're not RVIA, their places aren't RVIA. So if you're unfamiliar with that, it's a good resource and in looking into like what's what with that. They had some pod, like not podcasts, but some like, information on there. I think it was their Facebook where they were educating folks and he was in with the, the, um, an excuse. So I could ask a bunch of questions there. They have information on how to insure your tiny home, how to get loans for your tiny home. And they have different like companies that, that their clients have worked with before or kind of how to do it. So I found some of like really practical advice just right there on their FAQ site of their website. So that was actually really helpful. And then Honestly, I don't think there was any one YouTuber. I pretty much watched anything that was like a tour of any kind of home. I mean, there might have been somebody that had one or two videos that I watched, you know, in their series, but I didn't really follow um, anyone per se. I do actually remember meeting you like, I think it was in, I don't remember where it was. I can't quite remember, but you were there with your home. Well, no, you weren't there with your home. I was going to say, I didn't, I've never brought my home anywhere to, I don't bring. Yeah. So actually, no, you were, it was, so it was actually in Concord, Massachusetts. And you were at one of Deke's things. I think so, but you weren't there with the house, but, um, Miranda, um, was there with her aubergine that was built like at, Oh, so at the big mass festival that was behind the the school in Concord. Yeah. 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 And so I was there and you were like at a table, like with your book and your information. I was like, oh man, where was this guy? Like when I was building my house, because like now some of this stuff isn't terribly relevant per se, because the house is already built. But um, yeah, I actually remember meeting you kind of. Oh, cool. I think I might have even mentioned I was like getting my house built or something. And you were like, yeah, yeah. You were like, yeah, yeah. You probably met like a hundred people that day or on a million people. We we're like, tiny houses are great, man. And you're like, oh, here's another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was there for. Exactly. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I knew you existed, but it was just a little too late. I think that was like, the, the, I think it was like July or early August and my house was delivered like a couple weeks later. So, nice. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, Melissa Gerson, thank you so much for sharing, <laughs> sharing your story and, and being willing to put it out there. So it was great to have you on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Sorry if I was long winded. Hope it was interesting to everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much to Melissa Gerson for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes, including gorgeous photos of Melissa's Mayflower Tiny House at thetinyhouse.net slash 088. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 088. And don't forget to check out my awesome new tiny house coloring book called Color Me Tiny at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. I hope you love it. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.